0: Welcome to the Convention of States Legacy Podcast, a weekly program that looks back at historic content from our archives. We hope you are educated and inspired by today's edition. Today, we give you an opening statement from Convention of States President Mark Meckler at a hearing of the Ohio Senate General Government Budget Committee. This audio was captured on June 8th, 2022.
1: I am, as you've heard so many times before, apparently Mark Meckler, he of the Article 5 scheme. Apparently somehow I transported myself through time and was sitting at the Constitutional Convention where I was holding Colonel George Mason's hand, whispered in his ear and suggested that he stand and rise and address the assembly and say these, roughly these words, that It was important that the states have the right to call a convention to propose amendments to rein in federal tyranny, of course, being facetious. I was not at that convention. This is not Mark Meckler's Article 5 scheme. In my own defense, I have to rise and say I've never been accused of committing a Ponzi scheme before, so that was a new one. I've heard a lot of things in testimony around here. I hear a lot of slander aimed at both myself, and I've got a thick skin, I do politics just like you guys do, we get attacked all the time. It doesn't bother me, but when I hear our legal experts slandered, when I hear our grassroots slandered, when I hear them referred to as ignorant, and somehow they bought into some kind of Ponzi scheme, I have to admit, my hackles rise a bit. And I find it incredibly frustrating that people, instead of dealing with factual arguments, deal with insult, slander, and innuendo. They talk about dark money. They talk about Ponzi schemes. They talk about attacking the scholars. Uh, A gentleman got up here and said, our scholars are no comparison to their scholars. The truth of the matter is, and this is an absolute fact. It's all on our website. Every single nationally known conservative scholar, and again, I'm going to clarify what I said. Every single nationally known conservative scholar who has published peer-reviewed articles on the subject is in favor of Article 5. It's nothing but a lie to say they're not. Randy Barnett, the head of the Georgetown Center for the Constitution at Georgetown School of Law, one of the top legal institutions in America. Professor Robbie George, a chair at Princeton University. Mark Levin, C. Boyden Gray, former White House counsel. I heard an attack saying that we're trying to do away with the Second Amendment. A young man got up here, read something prepared, I would guess by his father, very well written, very well delivered, I have to say, worrying about the Second Amendment. You can look on our website. Chuck Cooper, Cooper, the longest serving lawyer for the NRA, outside litigators, dedicated his entire career to the preservation of the Second Amendment in the United States of America, to pushing back against those that would impede the full exercise of our Second Amendment, wrote a letter saying, this is an outrageous and absurd slander. So what you've heard today from people that I will assume are well-intentioned but frankly ignorant on the subject and have been misled are misleading, slanderous, outrageous claims. You heard long and extensive claims about our apparent attempts to impose a new constitution on the United States of America. A constitution which apparently, according to Ms. Martin, has already been drafted and proposed, which I've never seen nor read, which I would argue we could bring them all up. Not one person in our 5.2 million supporters around the nation has ever seen or heard of. These things exist in the fantasies of our opponents. The thing that is not fantasy is that the United States of America hangs in the balance. Washington DC is completely out of control, and I do not mean that on a partisan basis. I'm not referring to just today, I'm referring to a very long time. Under both parties, Washington DC has been out of control. In 1982, some of the same people who oppose us today opposed the idea of simply calling a convention to discuss a balanced budget amendment. In 1982, you can go back and look this up. You can't spin the debt clock in reverse fast enough to watch it happen, but we had a $4 trillion debt. I would pause it. I don't know what $4 trillion is. I don't think anybody does. I don't think anybody can imagine the meaning of $4 trillion. And yet today we are at $30 trillion. And the reality is, if you count unfunded liabilities, we are currently over $150 trillion. And these same people that are in this room today telling you that it's not time to act, that you cannot act now, that you must be cowards, that you must stand, stand down in the face of tyranny, these same people, when it was $4 trillion, told you to stand down. Now, not you because you were not there. You did not hold that responsibility. You did not hold that sacred trust at that time. But there were men and women who sat in these seats that had the opportunity to do something about the crushing debt facing our debt, our country, back in the 1980s. And they chose to stand down. And today, we have them to thank. And some of the people sitting here in the audience today that were around back then that opposed the use of Article 5. I have been accused of saying that our opponents have no actual answers. And that is an accusation to which I stand rightly accused. It's something that I say regularly. I speak with them, hundreds, if not thousands of them all over the country. And I ask the question, what is your solution? I can summarize. You heard some of it today. I am told that prayer is the answer. And my response to that is absolutely. Every single day. More often than we do now, no matter how much we do it, prayer is a solution. And we should always invoke prayer, as the founders did. Number two, I hear that we should elect better people. My answer to that statement is, how's that working for us? We elected them in 82, and 84, and 86, and so on. And today, we stand at $150 trillion in debt, including unfunded liabilities. And it is immoral. It is unethical. And as the cliche goes, Doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different outcome, well, we all know what that does. And finally, I hear, and I heard it again today multiple times, we should just nullify. As if there is a magic nullification wand, perhaps you can get it from Dumbledore or somebody at Hogwarts, I've not seen the wand. I'm looking for the states to arise and begin to nullify. I'd be interested in seeing if anybody in the states actually has the desire or the fortitude to do that. I think it's a very difficult thing. I think it is constitutionally questionable. And the reality is, well, it's not reality. The reality is if the states could simply just nullify, states would simply be just nullifying. The founders gave us a remedy in Article 5. They asked us to use it when the time came. And I would argue that the time is now. You heard young people stand up here today. I'm always happy to see them engage in the political process It pleases me greatly. But the reality is those young people, especially the very young ones today that you and I listen to, that we're so impressed by, if we don't do something, they have no future in this country. This country is going to collapse. It's not an if, it's a when, if we continue on this trajectory. And the real question today that you have to ask yourselves is, what role will you play in the historical pantheon? Because we have a choice to make. You, we in the states, are going to stand against federal tyranny. And we are going to use the tool that the founders gave us. Or we will be known as the people who didn't stand when we had the opportunity. When I look back at 1982. And I look back at pictures of people in those legislatures. And I do this sometimes, time to time. I walk around the halls. I've been in 48 state legislatures around the country. A lot of legislatures have pictures of, a, of the various legislatures from year to I always go to 1982. And I always look back and I think, the chance, the chance that you walked away from to actually rein this stuff in. You have that chance again. We've been given a second chance. I believe it's our last chance. And I ask that you do the brave thing. Don't be fearful, as so many people are telling you to do. Stand with courage, do the brave thing, stand for the people of Ohio and the people of the United States of America, and pass this resolution. Thank you. Happy to take questions.
0: Thank you for your testimony. Sarah Craig, questions? No, thank you very much. You. Um, I do have uh, one at least. Um, so we've talked about, I've asked the question of uh, many of the speakers today about, uh, so if we do this, we become the 20th state, I believe. Correct. Uh, to sign on, and others do. And we get approaching that uh, 30-some number that uh, forces this constitutional convention. Do you believe that uh, that will be enough to get Congress to act on these issues that we are passionate about?
1: Hard to say what's in the minds of Congress, but history would say yes to us. Uh, we have instances of this happening in the past. For example, we ended up getting graham Redmond, which was a balance, uh, a budget reconciliation act, out of that push that I was describing in the late 70s and early 80s. So they did take an action. I don't think it was enough. I think they should have pushed forward with the balanced budget convention. Uh, but we have that. 17th Amendment came out of the action of the states pushing to uh, do direct election of senators. By the way, something that I'm really opposed to. I think it was a terrible amendment. Uh, I personally think we ought to repeal that. Uh, but that was something that came out of the states getting very close to a convention two different times, the Bill of Rights itself comes out of a threat to go to convention. And so we have multiple times in American history where Congress has relented based on pressure from the public moving towards a convention. So I think that's highly likely.
0: So how would you respond to uh, some of the comments we've heard today and I I think resonate in my mind a little bit? We're were disappointed in Congress and Washington D.C. Now, what what makes you think they'll act in a reasonable manner going forward, with the authority, to I think we all agree, with the authority to appoint delegates, appoint ratify all. I mean, all they they control the authority by and large. How, what do what do we think will get a better product out of our current leaders in Washington?
1: So let me separate the question because I actually think there are two parts. I'm going to deal with authority over the convention first. There are those in the room who said today, I've heard it many times. It's been widely refuted in the scholarly scholarly literature that Congress would control the convention. It's important that you don't don't have to be a scholar. You don't have to read the scholarly literature to understand how absurd that is. The entire purpose for the introduction of the second clause of Article 5, and Madison says this, is that Congress would not propose the appropriate types of amendments on its own. So they needed to propose a way to essentially wire around Congress and the federal government. The entire second clause of Article 5 would be redundant and absurd. Congress can already propose amendments. Why would they send it to the states to do so if they controlled the entire process? Literally just not logical. Now, the scholarly literature supports what I'm saying. People uh, pretend that we have no idea what happened. We have no history around this. We we say this over and over, Senator, and with due due respect to everybody who's here, all they have to do is read the law of Article 5 by Professor Rob Nadelson. It's been thoroughly researched. There's over 40 cases that have ruled around the area of Article 5. We have a long history. We have precedent. So Congress has no involvement and no role whatsoever beyond naming the time and place of convention and mode of ratification. There are two proposed modes, both specified in the Constitution. Uh, First is legislative ratification. I believe that's what they would choose most likely. In all but one amendment to date, they've chosen legislative ratification. In the repeal prohibition, they chose state ratifying conventions. Interestingly, what is a state ratifying convention? Up to the state legislature so really one way or another state ratifying conventions or state legislative ratification that's in the purview of the state legislature again another indicator that when this was proposed and put into the constitution it was intended to give states control of the process i think the second part of the question which you might have been implying and forgive me if you're not feel free to stop me is i i hear this one all the time too which is well Why do we think that they would follow amendments? Why wouldn't they just mess around with those? Because they do that with the Constitution now. And the reality is, we have to look at reality once again. And I think a lot of times our opponents, they believe things, but those things are not true in reality. You do politics for a living, and politics are a I'm a farmer. I'm, not a, I'm, a, I'm a farmer. So. Have enough for a living. For <laughs> I'm a statesman. A, Senator that's a Craig and I are statesmen. <laughs> I appreciate that. You are, actually. And I see that a lot in state legislators. legislatures. But one of the things is we have to deal with political reality. And political reality is this, and our constitutional reality is we may not like it, but our Constitution is not what it used to be. The Supreme Court post Marbury versus Madison has been issuing rulings every single year. We're seeing more of them right now. And I've showed this document or this Constitution, so-called Constitution, the last time I was here, it's over 3,000 pages now with all the supplements. That's the Constitution under which we live right now, whether we like it or not. And the mode for fixing that is to call an Article 5 convention. History tells us that when we pass an amendment, it takes roughly 18 months to ratify the average amendment. It takes an overwhelming majority of the American population, the states, 38 states, to ratify it. That's political muscle, ultimately. And legislatures tend to follow along with that. In fact, what I would predict that you would see out of Washington post-ratification is legislators in D.C. who don't have the courage that you have saying, oh, I've always been a fan of these amendments. They tend to switch their opinions once the public has spoken boldly. And we have a history. It takes about 100 years for us to start drifting away from the original literal interpretation of an amendment.
0: Thank you for listening to the Convention of States Legacy Podcast. To learn more about our grassroots movement, go to www.conventionofstates.com.